0: jump right into the word this morning. Genesis chapter 13. I was driving in the car this week and um, I came across a a rather interesting um, radio show on um, national public radio. It was a conversation that was taking place between um, two news editors, one from the New Yorker and one from BuzzFeed. And uh, it was kind of intriguing because they were talking about the change in, uh, in journalism and, and in news reporting since the advent of the social media craze. What I found most surprising about the conversation was not necessarily what they were saying, but the fact that BuzzFeed actually has news editors. I thought that was kind of interesting because <laughs> my understanding of BuzzFeed was that, that it was this website that produced these lists like the seven best dogs to raise if you live in the city, or uh, the top 20 Hollywood stars who have an IQ over 130. And by the way, I did find out on BuzzFeed that Aston Kutcher and, uh, and James Franco feature in the list of top, top 20 Hollywood stars with an IQ over 130, which is kind of surprising. Can someone turn those back <laughs> lights on if you don't mind? Uh, someone back there? Um, Peck, would you mind turning the the lights on if you don't mind? It gets a little dark when the sun goes behind. So um, yeah, so I I decided to do some research about BuzzFeed and figure out what they were and realized that they do have some sense of serious journalism uh, kind of articles, like the one that I came across, which was headlined, what would Jesus do? He would complete this quiz, find out which biblical character you are most like, and... uh, (laughs) Of course, I had to jump in and figure out which biblical character I was like. And unfortunately, BuzzFeed's quiz got it completely wrong because uh, for me, I associate most closely with the character or the person that we are discussing and learning from in our series, the series of Abraham, his journey from Genesis 12 through Genesis 22. When I read Abraham's story, I want to just say his story is my story. His his struggles, his, his the, the 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 times of elation and, and the, the clarity of hearing God's voice, the times of despair and discouragement when he when he messes up, but God's incredible faithfulness through it all. Uh, my story, I just. Find in Abraham's story, obviously minus the having an affair and then the, child, the, the near childhood sacrifice. But other than that, my story is, is very much linked into Abraham's story. And even if you were to take that BuzzFeed quiz, even if you were to figure out which biblical character is or, or person is most like you, and even if it weren't, wasn't to be Abraham, there are so many things that you and I can learn from him. And uh, the one that I think is perhaps most important of them all is the one we're going to discuss today, is what do we do when our faith falters? What do we do when our faith falters? What what do we do when we come up against these crises of faith, when when God's word that was so clear a week ago suddenly seems so distant? God's word that was, that was we were so sure of what God had said suddenly becomes a distant memory. What do we do? How do we handle those particular situations? So just to kind of catch everyone up, we are in this series through Genesis 12 through 22, and we, we're discussing this idea of faith We've defined faith in our series as as believing God. It's simple as that. Faith is believing God. Faith is putting our trust in God's word. Faith is is being convinced and certain that God is going to do what he said he would do. God's promises and our faith go hand in hand. Our faith is directly linked to and connected to the promises of God. The promises are on God's side. Those are the things that God does. God does promises. God declares promises. And I I made this very clear last week, as simple as it sounds. Because God declares promises, we can't break them. They're not our promises to break. God makes the promises. We can't break them. But because of who God is, by, by virtue of his nature, by virtue of his character, neither can he. The Bible teaches us that God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. When Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, is visiting Mary to declare over her the reality that she will give birth by the power of the Holy Spirit to to a son, to the Messiah, Mary asks this question, how will this be so? And Gabriel declares this incredible statement which, which summarizes the reality of who God is. None of God's words will ever fail. You see, the reason why God cannot change his mind is because when God speaks, he acts. And we used this example last week. If I were to stand here and say, let there be light, in fact, I did a few moments ago. I stood here and I said, let there be light. Nothing happened. Peck needed to get up off of his seat and walk to the back in order to turn the lights on. But when God declares, let there be light, there is light. You see, God's words and God's actions cannot be separated. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that the word of God is living and active. The power of God and the authority of God to get the promises fulfilled comes hand in hand with God declaring those promises over us. If we can't break those promises because they're God's promises and it is he who declares them, neither are we under pressure to make them happen. And that's just as important for us to realize, friends. So often on the negative side, we say, oh, I've done too much. I've, I've, I've messed things up, and therefore God's not going to fulfill his promise. But can I say equally, don't come under the illusion that you're under pressure to make the promises of God happen. And so what is our response, or what, how should we respond to God's promises? The Bible teaches us the way we respond to God's promise is to believe him. To believe in a faithful God. To to believe that God will do just as he said he would. To trust God's word is to trust God himself. I made the statement last week that communion, sorry, I said last week that when God speaks, communication from God becomes communion with God when we respond with faith. Sometimes when God declares wonderful promises over us, we think that the attaining of the promise is the goal that God has in mind. And can I say that's not the case? The goal that God has in mind is intimacy with him. Don't make the fulfillment of the promise the goal. That's just the stepping stone to what God desires more than anything, which is intimacy and closeness with us. I love Hebrews chapter 12, which just for me gives a wonderful summary of how we should respond to the promises of God, things that we learned last week when we were discussing Genesis 12. But Hebrews 12, just as the first few verses, gives us a wonderful summary of how to respond to faith or by faith to God's promises. It starts off in verse one. Therefore, Therefore, in the light of all the things that we are learning about faith, therefore, uh, it it goes on to say, therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, can I remind us, friends, that, that the journey of faith is not something that we are meant to do alone. The journey of faith is something that we are meant to do in community. We have this word of God, which is full of real, ordinary people like you and me, uh, whose, whose journey of faith is recorded in here for our encouragement. But not only that, we are surrounded by, by friends who are doing the same thing we are doing, trusting God and taking God at his word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance, as impossible as it seems at times, as crazy as, as, crazy as you might appear at times, as difficult as it is at times to, to stand on God's word. That's what the Bible teaches us, that we are to, when we've done all that we can, to take our stand to stand on God's word, run with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the only consistent one through a journey of faith because you and I know that when we we say yes to God, yes, it comes with incredible moments of exhilaration and clarity, but let's be honest, it also comes with fear and trepidation and nervousness and uncertainty at times. That's why the author of Hebrews says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author of our faith, the one who declares the promises of God here, the author of our faith, and the perfecter of our faith, the one who will take us from here to where he wants us to be, to there. And that's what the story of Abraham is all about. Abraham, Abraham's story is the story from here to there. It is the journey that you and I are on as we as we respond to the promises of God. God speaks over Abraham in Genesis twelve: "Leave your country and go to the land I will show you." This this kind of this, this overarching summary statement that, that that shows that Abraham is to respond to the to the word of God. Later on, God promises that Abraham will will, will have this great name. He promises him offspring, even though his wife is barren. He promises him a land, even though the Canaanites currently possess the land. But you see, when God speaks, because when God speaks, he also acts, something had come alive in Abraham's heart. He'd he'd seen something by faith of of the promises that God was going to lead him into, and if you know Jesus, I would almost guarantee you know what that's like. You know those moments when God speaks into your heart. You know those moments that when your heart comes alive with the promises of God, and you get a glimpse of where He's taking you to. Abraham's journey is so similar to my journey, and I want to say Abraham's journey is so similar to your journey too. I love Psalm eighty four. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. That's who we are. We are these pilgrim people. We are these sojourners. We are these people that are on a journey. We are... We are impregnated with the, with the prophetic promises of God. There is something that is alive in us. And we're on this journey from where we are to where God wants us to be. For, for me, the story of Abraham, your story, and, and my story is a microcosm of the, of, the, of the overarching kind of salvation story that, that we read in Scripture. Moments of, of incredible clarity, times of, of uncertainty and doubt. But through it all, the absolute assurance that none of God's words will ever fail. You see, the salvation story starts in Genesis with the fall and, 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 and soon after the flood, and then we introduce to Abraham, who was is, who is on this pilgrim journey, and we start to ask the question, how on earth is God going to rescue the world? And then in the book of Exodus, he, he, he rescues his people out of Egypt, and he, and he takes them into the promised land. But because they're human and, and, and frail, just like us, they begin to mess things up. And so God institutes kings starting with King David, and, and, and we, we, when we read that, we ask ourselves the question, is this how God's going to rescue the world? Through a king. And it looks so much like it when David rules with, with integrity of heart and with skillful hands, and he, and, he, and he leads Israel into this golden era. But very soon, his son and his grandson and his grandson's ch- children just make a hash of things we see king after king after king only bent on evil. Eventually, God allows Israel to be, to be exiled into Babylon, soon to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall in the temple. And when we read those stories, we say, God, is, is this what you're going to do? Is this how your salvation plan is going to come to the world through Jerusalem? But then we encounter 400 years of silence. And the next thing we know, we're introduced to Mary, this teenage mom who's giving birth to a baby in a feeding trough, and the shepherds declare that this is to be the Messiah of the world. But soon after that, as soon as Jesus appears on the scene, he seems to disappear because he becomes a carpenter's son, a lowly carpenter's son, living in a poor family, only for 30 years later to be baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he begins to teach and, 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 and rebuke the religious and heal the sick and raise the dead and allow the, 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 the blind eyes to be open, And he feeds the hungry and the poor. And many people are, are love Jesus and all the religious people hate Jesus. This is, is this the savior of the world? And then eventually he gets arrested because he's trashed the temple in Jerusalem. And he's falsely accused and he's found guilty and he's hung on a cross. And darkness covers the earth. At that point, we ask ourselves, is is this the savior of the world? I mean, of all the obstacles that God has overcome, surely death is the greatest of all obstacles. Surely there's no greater obstacle to the plan of God than death itself. And sometimes I think we can feel like that in our faith journey, where it just seems like the obstacles are just so in our face, like how on earth is God going to bring us through? And I'm reminded at, the, at moments like that of Paul's great one line in Second Timothy chapter 1, uh, chapter 2. And he says this, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. This is my gospel. And friends, that's the journey of faith. That's the reality of of this life of faith where it just seems so impossible, so unlikely for God to be true to his word. The, the, The encouragement is remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. This is the gospel. God brought Jesus back from the dead. Conquered death, conquered sin, conquered sickness, conquered Satan, once and for all. And for those of, us, those of us who put our faith in him, we too are delivered from this world and become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That's the life of faith, friends. Uncertainty, doubt, fear, trepidation, absolute certainty at the end of it all, that God is going to do what he said he would. God's word never fails. But sometimes our faith does. Sometimes our faith falters. And so we're gonna learn this morning from, uh, from Abraham uh, chapter 13, Genesis chapter 13, verse one. Let's read together. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from, the, from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier very important and where and this is important where he had first built an altar and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord now when you read the story of Abraham, when you read the story of even his son and his grandson, Isaac and Jacob, you'll notice this, this, uh, this, this process or this habit that Abraham and his son and grandson have of building an altar whenever they encounter the presence of God. They encounter God, God speaks, God reveals, God declares things over him, and, and often the response is to build an altar. Now we need to pause there and just make a few comments about what, the importance of an altar, and you'll see why this is important. An altar, firstly is a place of remembrance it's a place of remembering it's a place of reflecting back on the things that God had declared it's a it's a time when you and I at at times in our walk with God we need to go back to that place and remind ourselves of what God has declared over us it's not to remind God but it's to make sure that we are aligning ourselves with the unchangeable nature and unchangeable promises of God God, you declared. God, you promised. God, you spoke these things into being. And so I'm aligning myself with the the reality of your your truth. An altar at times is also a place of consecration. Consecration simply means to be set apart. If God speaks, if God is declaring things, we need to, in, in response, surrender to the promises of God. God, you spoke, God, you declared, God, you promised. Therefore, I need to surrender myself to the things that you have spoken. A place of remembrance, a place of consecration. Sometimes an altar can represent a place of repentance simply because there are moments, and you and I know this, surely you you and I will know this. There are moments when we receive the promise of God and we lose sight of God's faithfulness so we think it's our responsibility to try and make things happen. And when we are reminded once again of God's faithfulness, we sometimes need to come before God and say, God, as I surrender myself to your plans and purposes, would you forgive me for being an egghead? Forgive me for being such a fool to think that I can do this myself. I surrender to your promise, remembrance, consecration, repentance. It's a place where God speaks. It's a place of revelation. One thing you'll notice in our story as we come to verse 14 in a few moments, God declares once again the same promises he had declared in chapter 12. Friends, sometimes we think we have this wrong notion that when God speaks once, he'll never speak again about that issue. And I want to say, if if you've heard that, if you believe that, I want to say, with all love and due respect, I think it's nonsense. I say that with love. (laughs) God speaks his plans and purposes over us. And as I shared last week, sometimes when God speaks, we get a single glimpse of the entire picture. The reason why God speaks over and over again is he's emphasizing different parts of the promise. If if I'm standing here and I look through a telescope at the back of the hall, I will get one aspect Of that of that room. But it would require various sweeps with the telescope to get the full picture. That's what happens when God speaks His promises over and over again. He's filling in the picture. He's showing us the same promise from different angles and from different aspects. A place of remembrance, a place of consecration, a place of repentance, a place of what did I say? Help me understand, uh, help me remember. uh, A place of revelation, thank you. A place of revelation, most importantly though, it's the place that Abraham comes back to after he made a mess of things in Egypt. He comes back to that place of remembering the promise of God. Now we're not gonna look at the earlier chapter, Genesis chapter 12, but essentially this is the story. God speaks over Abraham. Abraham, I am giving you the land. This land called Canaan, it's yours. And earlier he had said, I will promise to bless you and I will curse anyone who comes after you. And so what what does Abraham do? The first encounter with opposition is a famine that hits the land. Abraham thinks, oh my goodness, God must have forgotten that there was a famine or, or God's promise surely can't be true in a famine. So he picks up his things and he heads south to Egypt. And if that isn't enough, Verse 13 of chapter 12 is an indication that Abraham has seriously lost the plot because he then devises a plan to try and keep himself and his wife safe from the Egyptians. He says this to his wife. Sarah, say to Pharaoh that you are my sister so that I may be treated well, so that I, I may be treated well. What was the promise that came in Genesis 12? God says to Abraham, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing. Suddenly, Abraham has lost sight of the faithfulness of God, and it's become all about himself. Say that you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and that my life may be spared because of you. He's lost sight of the faithfulness of God. And friends, that's what happens when our faith fails. When our faith falters, when we go through those faith crises, could I suggest that it is primarily, primarily because we lose sight of the faithfulness of God. Generally speaking, one of two things happen. Either we've, we've messed things up and we think to ourselves, oh my goodness, because I've done this, God will never remain true to his promises. Or, as in Abraham's case, we think, well, because I'm not seeing God fulfill his word, I need to do something about it. I need to make something happen. Now, to his credit, Abraham comes to to his senses, and he does the very thing that I want you and I to remember today when our faith falters. Abraham returns back to the altar where God first spoke to him. And so what I I would suggest to you and I today, that when our faith falters, the thing we should do is return back to that place of grace. Return back to the place where God first spoke those promises over you. Remind yourself of his faithfulness. Remind yourself of his goodness. Remind yourself that it is only because of his goodness and his grace that he is able to, to uh, that we are able to, to 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 walk into the promises that he has for us. Remind yourself that God is the faithful one. If you need to repent, then I would say repent. And and you've heard me say this. Don't be afraid of repentance. Sometimes we can be so confused with that that idea of repentance. If God has, through Jesus on the cross, uh, forgiven our sins once and for all, why would we need to repent? That is theologically so accurate, but relationally unhelpful. It's like me standing at my wedding and saying to my wife, well, on this first day of our wedding, I want you to know that I love you. And if anything changes, I'll let you know in the future. No. I tell her every day. I love her. She's forgiven me already for the things that I'm going to do, and I'm going to do a few more things that I shouldn't do in the future because I'm just a knucklehead sometimes. She's already forgiven me for those things. But to maintain relational intimacy, I sometimes go to her and I say, babe, would you forgive me? That's all repentance is. It's just keeping short accounts with God for the God who already has forgiven us and already spoken his grace and goodness over us. Let's have a look at the, what happens to Abraham as he goes back to this place of grace. Genesis 13 verse 5, now Lot, and we're going to contrast Abraham's response to Lot's response. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, this is remarkable, so Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. This is, this is a remarkable statement. And it's only understood if we, if, if we grasp the, the, the cultural context of, in which Abraham and Lot lived. This is a fiercely patriarchal society. Where Abraham, by virtue of his seniority and age, and the fact that he was the head of the tribe, had absolutely every right to say, Lot, listen to me, bud. We've got one of two choices. We either sort this out or I get to choose where I go. But you see, Abram had gone back to that place of grace. Abram had gone back to that place where he realized that everything he had was because of God's goodness, because of God's goodness, that every blessing that he had was because God had blessed him and every freedom that he had was because God had set him free. He wasn't standing there worried and concerned about what Lot would choose, kind of crossing his fingers behind his back saying, oh my goodness, I hope that Lot chooses poorly so that I can walk into, into the better part of the land. He was settled and secure and rested in the goodness of God. Friends, there's no need, if we've got a revelation of God's grace, there's no need for us to be ambitious. Ambitious. There's no need for us to strive after things. There's no need for us to, 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 to clamor and, and, and be competitive and push others out the way. God leads us into rest. Even in Abraham's foolishness, God blesses him. If we had time, you'll, you'll, if, and you read the story, Abram goes to Egypt, sins, and completely disobeys God. But yet in it all, God still pours out his goodness and grace on him. That's how true to God's word he is. God works all things for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I'm not encouraging you to sin. I'm not encouraging you to go and test that theory out. But I'm saying in the goodness of God, somehow, even in our disobedience, God eventually gathers it all together and works it out for his good and for our blessing. That's the goodness of God. Abraham had got wind of that. Returning to the grace of God allows you once again, allows us once again to rest in the faithfulness of God. It's not the case with Lot. Let's read verse 10. We nearly finished. Now Lot looked up, and he saw the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord. Most commentators say that phrase, like the garden of the Lord, was actually a, it's actually hyperbola. It's like if I stood up here and said, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. I couldn't really eat a horse. I'm just, I'm just desperately hungry. And, and, the, and, the, and most commentators say that's what, Abraham, that's what Lot was saying when he, when he looked up and he saw the watered uh, uh, plains. And it was like the garden of the Lord, like Eden. Lot looked up and saw the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at verse 11. So Lot chose for himself. It sounds a lot like Abraham in in, in chapter 12. So Lot chose for himself himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. You see, what happened was that Lot wanted the garden of the Lord without wanting the Lord, first of all. And I think that's what we need to, at times, be cautious of. Sometimes the promises of God, the incredible promises of God, the incredible promises of the Lord, if we're not careful, can be the Lord to us if we want them more than we want God himself. Remember what I said earlier, God, the fulfillment of God's promises is not the goal. It's intimacy with Jesus that's the goal. Don't allow those even good promises that God has spoken over us to become the Lord in us. Jesus is the only one who knows how to live in the center of our lives without destroying us. We put anything else in there, anything else that's good, ministry goals, family goals, career goals, all of which are good and right in God. when they become the center of our lives, friends, they will ultimately destroy us. and that's what we see happen with lot. Only Jesus knows how to live in the center of our lives. Let's uh, nearly finished, verse 14. And then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, I love this, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west, all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Here's that promise coming again, a different aspect of of the same promise, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of memory at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Returning to the grace of God allows us to rest again in the faithfulness of God, but also it, it allows us to be reminded of the promises of God. I love this, this kind of contrast of, of Lot and Abraham. Lot chooses for himself a city. God gives Abraham The whole earth. What Lot chooses for himself, he only has for a short moment. What God gives Abraham, he has forever. And it's so vital that we find this this distinction between stuff, things that we choose for ourselves, as opposed to things that God has freely given us. Genesis 13 starts with Abraham going back to an altar. And it ends with Abraham worshiping God at an altar. And this time, God says to Abraham, he says, he says go up to the hill country. So where, where the second altar is being built is actually in the mountainous area. And he says to Abraham, go up onto the hill country and, and look, look with eyes of faith. Maybe you're here today and, and maybe you can relate to what it means to allow your faith to falter. Maybe you know what it's like for, for, for you to begin to doubt the promises of God. Maybe you've done what Abraham has done and tried to, 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 to make things happen or try to force your will into, into what you believe to be God's plans. Maybe this is a time this morning where you can build that altar in your heart again today. And in that place of returning to God's grace, God says to you today, stand up. And look, I'm not just giving you a city. I'm giving you the nations. As far as your eye can see. Friends, if you try to achieve the things that you think God has called you to do, it will be like the city compared to the nations. Look with the eyes of faith this morning at the promises of God. He not only says to Abraham, look, he says, says, walk. Walk the land. Begin to take steps of faith. This is when we outwork the things that God has put on us, friends. Faith is not always just sitting around doing nothing. Faith is responding to the things that God has spoken over us. But don't respond unless you've come back to that place of grace. Don't respond unless you've settled the fact that it is God and God alone who allows us by his grace to walk into his promises. Look, walk, walk worship. Abraham responds with worship. Begins to call on the name of the Lord. I love Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Not often. Always. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Abraham was able to find gentleness Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. How? The Lord is near. In everything, through prayer, through petition, through intercession, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, will guard your hearts and your minds, in Christ Jesus. You don't need to strive. You don't need to fight to make it happen. Don't come up with a plan. Don't force your will into God's. Even if you answered that test that the Buzzfeed had, and it said that you weren't like Abraham at all, I wanna say, we can all learn from Abraham. And come back to that place of grace when our faith falters. Reminding ourselves that it is only because of Him that we have what we have. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the incredible blessing, the incredible truth, the amazing reality that you have given us your Son, Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, Paul writes. Raised from the dead. This is my gospel. Jesus, when things seemed unlikely, when things seemed, not just unlikely, when things seemed impossible, you had been dead for three days. In all reality, there was no hope. Father, you sent the Spirit of God to breathe life back into, in, into Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus, you were raised from the dead and are now seated victorious at the Father's right hand. I pray for every one of us who've lost sight of your faithfulness. Every one of us who've forgotten your incredible promises. Every one of us, including myself, who've tried to make things happen in our own strength. Lord, would you forgive us we come back to that place of grace this morning we surrender ourselves i pray for the peace of god that transcends all understanding that makes no sense the peace of god that makes no sense lord may that guard our hearts and our minds this morning may it guard our emotions and made God our thinking this morning in Jesus name in Jesus name we stand against anxious thoughts we come against anxious thoughts we come against emotions that have expressed themselves in, in an unhelpful way because of fear and doubt We pray this morning, Father, for your rest, for your peace, and for your grace upon us all this morning. Just as every eye remains closed, as you just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you in these next 30 seconds, I want to invite anyone who might be here today who's never given their heart to Jesus as Lord and Savior. This might be your first time at church in the city. Maybe you've been visiting a few times. But something that maybe has was said today gripped your heart. The reality, the truth, the certainty that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. Sent from God as his son. Sent from God to live here on earth as one of us. Never sinned, yet was tempted in every way. Went to the cross unjustly. Accused found guilty, nailed to the cross, died but yet was raised again and he's now seated at the Father's right hand. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to me, no one comes to the Father but through me. You might not understand all of that but maybe something in your heart has come alive today where you said, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I would love to pray with you this morning lead you in a prayer where you can invite Jesus into your heart. If that's you, just as every eye is closed, just can you quickly lift up your hand and look at me? I would love to lead you in that prayer this morning to to, to help you invite Jesus into your heart today. Would anyone like to respond to that this morning? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Thank you that you don't discard us when our faith falters. That wonderful truth in Second in, uh, in Timothy, Lord God, where you say, even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.